Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. On the big day, all of these congressmen would be on the stage, the committee, and there was a table out front for four speakers. That was Sam Walton, Don Tyson, J.B. Hunt, and me. Yeah, they called me the mayor of Northwest Arts. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle Lee. If you want to watch exclusive full-length video episodes with each of our guests, receive a free Ozark-inspired sticker every single month, and get a shout-out on a future episode, then sign up for the White River Club on our Patreon. The link is in the show notes, and your support goes a long way. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Veet, and I'm actually joined on this episode by two new people who you guys haven't f- heard from yet. Um, and the first one being Inland team member Josh Launch, who will be co-hosting this episode with me as we talk to our second guest, um, who is who is really who we're going to highlight on this episode, and, and we'll introduce him in a second. Um, but real quick, Josh, um, do you just want to take maybe 30 seconds to introduce yourself, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you like to do, um, how old you were when you had your first kiss, you know, <laughs> 17, all, all the good stuff. <laughs> My name's Josh Launch. Thanks for having me, man. This is, this has been fun. Um, I like hunting, anything hunting. So I have a disease called alpha gal. Alpha that was, gal. That was a broad, just everywhere <laughs> picture. Mm. Um, what, what is alpha gal? Alpha gal is a disease where I got bit by the lone star tick and now I'm allergic to everything from a mammal. So oh I can't have meat. I can't have um, certain stitches, most medication, um, pretty much everything. So. I, so I've heard of that, and you, you get it from being bit by ticks, but not all ticks carry it because I've been bit by tons and right. tons of ticks. But No, it's actually the Lone Star tick. Okay. And I'm not sure if I got bit in Texas or Kansas or Oklahoma or Arkansas. Okay. I'm not sure where it was. But You know, Josh, at Bass Pro, you can get it. Uh, it's called a repellent. Mm-hmm. You can spray on your clothes. Never mind. <laughs> I didn't actually know that that worked for ticks, as dumb as that is. Yes. Yeah, so I got I got bit by that, I think, my senior year of college, or high school, I mean. Okay. And then did that. But, yeah, like, I love the outdoors. It's not going to stop me. Yeah. Um, I don't eat the meat anymore. I'm pretty much a vegan who can eat fish and bird. So I'm an, avid, I'm an avid waterfowler um, fisherman. And so kind of get to tailor my outdoors towards what uh, I kind of have to now. Ducks and... And trout and bass. You, right, man. You like to fly fish, right, mm-hmm. mostly? Actually, the guy we're interviewing today got me into fly fishing, so yes. Very cool. And that, that takes us to you. So obviously, um, our, our second guest, and, and really who we're highlighting today is, um, is kind of, is, his name is John Sampier. He's what we call the fly fishing mayor, if you will. Um, <laughs> he, he's kind of a local legend. He's an outdoorsman turned politician who's now returned to the outdoors industry 
and, and you've guided in Wyoming. You've served as the mayor of Rogers for 17 years. You've, you've done a lot of stuff. Um, so, Juan, thanks for just taking the time and having us over. And, and thanks, My pleasure. I'm honored. Coming on. Yeah. I'm honored. Cool. Um, and so one of the things we wanted to talk about, and, and to kind of introduce yourself, you've, you've been in Northwest Arkansas or around Northwest Arkansas for a long time, since the 50s and 60s, right? I was born in Rogers in 1947. Okay. I lived here my entire life. Okay, gotcha. So you've, you've seen how this area and how Arkansas has changed along the way, yes. especially over the last, I can only imagine, maybe 20-so years when yes, things that's pretty accurate. really yes. took off. And, yes. and as serving as mayor of Rogers, you actually had, you know, a hand in some of that development of, of the city of Rogers and yes. as, as people started coming here and, and moving here more and more, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, back in the 18th century and early 19th century and maybe into the 20th century, all the wealth in Arkansas was in the Delta and Southern Arkansas in either timber or cotton. We were there quaint cousins in the Ozarks that they'd come up in the summer because it was a little cooler up here. Okay. But you couldn't grow anything on these rocks. Mm -hmm. However, Northwest Arkansas, Benton County became the apple capital of the United States. More apples produced here than anywhere until a blight and the depression killed that. What came along to take their place was chickens. Okay. So uh, that's kind of how it's evolved up here. Uh, big agriculture uh, uh, counties, but, uh, you know, the advent of Beaver Lake and the move of Daisy Manufacturing to Rogers were two seminal events in changing Rogers in Northwest Arkansas forever. Okay. And Daisy, you mentioned that. I think a lot of people may not know that. Um, I certainly didn't know that or wouldn't have known that unless I lived in this immediate area. But yes. you're talking about Daisy BB guns. Right. You know, Every kid had that growing up across the country. Everyone's seen a Christmas story. Right. <laughs> and in downtown Rogers at the Daisy Museum, which is a wonderful place to go to, there's now a one-and-a-half-story tall Daisy Red Rider rifle outside, yeah. a, a statue or whatever you want to call it, but yeah. on the side of the building. But uh, it's iconic. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't the first industry in Rogers, but it was the first industry that was really courted by local leaders to have a move from Michigan down here. Okay. And it really just was a seminal change, as I say, in the future of Rogers. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. And then obviously, you know, the area took off and you had, you mentioned Tyson Chicken um, mm -hmm. came and then you, you mentioned, um, well, you didn't, but Walmart and yes. J.B. Hunt and, and those came to the area and started developing. And I'm sure ever since then, you've just seen it's, massive growth. It's amazing to me that, Without any interstate, the largest company, I guess, in the world, Walmart, is based here. The largest producer of protein, Tyson Foods. I believe the United States' largest long-haul trucker, J.B. Hunt, all located here within a few miles of each other with no interstate. Yeah. <laughs> and J.B. Hunt used to say, if you can't make it in northwest Arkansas, you can't make it. Mm. There's a spirit of entrepreneurship here. All of them really started with nothing. And there's something here, it's it's hard to define, but there's something here, strong work ethic. But people see them and think, well, they did it. We can do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think even even really as I think about personally and I think about since the pandemic has kind of hit, I can't, I can't even count. I lose track of how many of 
you know, your, your local friends and family members, you know, have started to start their own little business. And I just feel like there's that, that vibe around Northwest Arkansas that everyone kind of has an idea and they run with it and everyone has a little bit of entrepreneurship in them because they see other people doing it. And, and it is an area that you can, you can build something um, because we are still relatively small compared to a yes. lot of metropolis yes. areas. Um, well, you know, the, the theme, the motto for the Rogers Chamber of Commerce says it all. Where possible happens. Mm. <clears throat> I contend that there's no other place like this in the United States. When you think of everything from jobs, entrepreneurship, cutting age in marketing and transportation and logistics, education, medical, uh, outdoor recreation, amenities like crystal bridges and the amazing and that kind of thing. Yeah. There's no place else like this. Yeah. And Benton County is now the fastest growing county in the United States. Really? I tell people, don't invite someone here you don't like because they're going to move here. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's going to continue. And, you know, one of the things, I may get a little astray here, but one of the things, and I heard it just the other day, that people say, or I'll ask them about, well, what do you like about it? The number one thing over the years that people say is, well, everyone is so friendly. Mm, yeah. I, I thought everyone was, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just it's just different here. Yeah, yeah. And we've told big companies before that we've been courting. Yes, you've got sheets of demographics, but you cannot understand unless you come visit here. That's not going to tell the whole story. You've got to see it. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. And obviously, us, all of us, we're we're all Arkansas locals. Um, yes. You know, we Northwest Arkansas specifically, and we love it here. And any any chance we get, we like to tell people about it. But it's also on the flip side of the coin. You don't want to tell too many people about it. I mean, it's like, no, you'll, you'll ruin it. You'll right. Take, you'll take away the good things about it. Especially yep. being in Bentonville where we're at, we're seeing everybody from all over the country, which is awesome. I actually yes. sold a saw yes. to a guy who was wearing a meat eater shirt the other day. Oh, really? Knew Clay Newcomb and knew all the guys in Arkansas Legends and stuff and had just moved here. And so, yeah, everybody is. Yeah. It's crazy. It's cool. And and so what we want to talk about, obviously, is getting into some of the outdoors of the Ozarks and, and how things have changed. But before we get into that, um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your life and just kind of talk about your a little bit of your life story and how you got into the outdoors and mm-hmm. kind of just talk to me, even if it's about your career, just some of the things you've done over your lifetime. Well, I've always enjoyed the outdoors. I don't get out as often now as I'd like to or as I should. Hmm. But I had kind of a role model, although I saw him very little. My grandfather on my mother's side was a charter member of the U.S. Forest Service. Okay. And his his last uh, job was as supervisor of Grand Teton National Forest, not park, uh, in, in Jackson Hole. Right. And to me, that was a glamorous type of thing I could envision myself becoming a forest ranger. My father was not an outdoor person, not camping, not hunting, not fishing, nothing like that. Okay. But I had a friend who, one friend who his older brother and his father were avid fishermen, particularly fly fishermen. But when I was in late grade school and junior high in the summer, I hardly missed a day of fishing at Lake Atlanta. Now, that was with spinning gear at the time. Yeah. I dare say no one's fished at Lake Atlanta more in their life than I have. Okay. And I love doing that. And it'd be just me. There were three or four 
older gentlemen that were probably considered ne'er-do-wells in the community, but they were nice to me, and they kind of looked after me down there. So I always enjoyed that, and then my older brother had a good friend who became like an uncle to me. Uh, as I say, my father wasn't interested in any of this. And uh, Jake, he uh, he was an avid hunter and fisherman. Okay. And he kind of took me under his wing, and as a matter of fact, was able to convince my father, who wasn't interested in all, and buying me a single-shot 20-gauge shotgun, which was my first gun. Very nice. And uh, so... Do you remember the the brand of it? It was a Mossberg. Mossberg, okay. Mm-hmm. Single shot. Okay. Yep. Cool. I shot better with that than anything I had since then. <laughs> yeah. Those single shots, they kind of force you to do that. That's right. Because you, you know you only got one. You can't reload. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my first hunting was with him and his little, he had a, a like a miniature, small beagle named Rebel. And we would go, we went rabbit hunting. That was my first hunting experience. That's awesome. And then it branched out from that mainly through him. But uh, there was a, it's still a lifelong friend of mine named Jim Lingle, whose father was a beloved longtime superintendent superintendent of school here. Okay. And avid quail hunter when there were quail here. Yeah. And through Jake, what I'm trying to say is through Jake and Mr. Lingle, I learned what it meant to be a sportsman and a gentleman in the outdoors. Okay. And I think that's critically important. My favorite book of all time is called The Old Man and the Boy, written by an author named Robert Ruark many, many, many years ago. It was about him growing up in his, in the tutelage of his grandfather, who was a retired sea captain, and they lived on the coast in North Carolina. Each chapter is an interesting hunting or fishing story, but there's a lesson in there that can be very subtle. Those kinds of things help me develop a appreciation and a desire to make sure that whoever came after me could enjoy the outdoors just like I could. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the friend I mentioned, older brother and father, were avid fly fishermen, and that was at a time when there weren't many. Yeah. There was one old gentleman at Lake Atlanta that fly fished for bass, and I watched him, but I really didn't do it. Is that what you would fish for on Lake Atlanta? Yes, yes, brim or or, uh, bass with popping bugs. But my friends went to Roaring River a lot. Right. And they introduced me to fly fishing. And I loved it. I've been fly fishing for over 60 years now. Wow. Started and learned with them at, at Roaring River, although I've fished warm water, of course, since then. Yeah. It really got nailed down in those summers you kind of alluded to in Wyoming. My uh, mother's youngest brother for a long time ran the boating concession on Jenny Lake and Grand Teton National Park. Okay. Mostly tour boats, rental fishing boats. Hmm. I did some guiding, but mostly I ran the dock and did some guiding. And that was your uncle, you said, who was yes. up there? Okay. Yes. Um, and on my day off, I'd go fly fishing. Hmm. Um, I just and, and it was wild fly fishing. I mean, these were wild streams. It wasn't like below Beaver Dam or Roaring River. Right. These were wild mountain streams. During the course of a day of fishing, I might see moose, elk, beaver, otter, eagles, you name it. That's so cool. <laughs> bear. 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 Never had a problem with bear. I spent about an hour and a half up a tree from a moose that I startled. <laughs> but uh, That's almost like uh, I'm, I'm trying to picture where you're at, uh, right? And I'm trying to think about, like, uh, is that where they basically, uh, the river runs through it? You, you know, that old well, Brad Pitt movie? Well, it's similar, okay. but, but that was really in the northwest. I think maybe in... 
I'm not sure. I wanted to say Oregon, but I'm not sure. Or Montana or something like that. I get I, I get a yeah, little confused Monta- between Montana. It was Montana. Okay, okay. Yeah. But you're okay, so you're in Wyoming in the Tetons. Right. Got it. So and when- fishing the Tetons and Yellowstone Park. Okay. Okay. Um speaking of that movie, and I love the book and the movie. But as I tell my fly fishing classes, let me tell you two things. That wasn't Brad Pitt throwing that fly rod. Right. <laughs> and someone that can throw a fly half the length of a football field, it's, it's, it's entertaining and it's impressive, but that isn't fly fishing. You can't adequately fly fish throwing a fly that far. That's why they make waders or boats yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great, great story. Yeah, absolutely. When you say you were fishing wild rivers and streams like that, mm-hmm. what was that actually like? Is it big water, little water, skinny, No, most of what shallow. I missed was smaller water that I could easily wade with hip boots. Okay. Um, now, the Snake River would have been different, and I fished it some, but I didn't like it as much as a river in the Tetons called the Grovant. Very few people fished it, and I had access to places because of my uncle telling me, you know, being a native. And then uh, the smaller streams like the Firehole in Yellowstone, although I fished the Madison, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's cool. That's one that you hear everyone talk about of, oh, you got to go fish the Madison. That's like a famous river that everyone talks about. Yeah. If you've been to Yellowstone or seen photographs, there's an iconic photograph of Yellowstone Falls. There's a green section on the left, and it's a long falls down in the Grand Canyon of of Yellowstone. There's a (laughs) hole called Seven Mile Hole, and what it means is it's seven miles down canyon no. and then seven miles back oh yeah i went twice it's a hike <laughs> when i was younger you could have caught him with a cigarette butt i mean hardly anyone ever went down there well at the end of my second trip i've kind of learned how i hadn't noticed it before but i saw this sign that said you're in grizzly country so i never went back <laughs> <laughs> but that was quite an experience yeah i don't blame you at all i'm not trying to mess with grizzlies nope. <laughs> Although we had it, we had a guest a couple weeks ago, um, JD Dudley. He was talking about uh, fishing up in Alaska, and he caught a, a world record fish away from a grizzly. It makes for a great story, wow. but I, I wouldn't want to be there in that mm, scenario. No, no. <laughs> not at all. Of course, we were. I was in Wyoming at the time where there were still the bears begging on the roads in Yellowstone, and at our cabin, we lived right on the outlet to the lake in a cabin. Nobody else did. Yeah. Nearly every night, you'd hear the trash cans being tossed around for the black bears being out there getting into our garbage. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So you fished Lake Atlanta growing up here. Mm-hmm. You also fished Roaring River, and that's mm-hmm. where you learned how to fly fish. Mm-hmm. Is that still where you fish, or do you fish somewhere else up there? I really enjoyed going back to Roaring River. And you know, at my age and my years of fly fishing, I enjoy taking somebody and watching them and helping them. Um. Catching fish really isn't what fly fishing's about. Yeah. It's different. And I tell people, it may take you a while to understand this, but you'll experience life and things differently, fly fishing, than anything else you would ever try to do. Can't explain it. It just happens. So I enjoy being out there, and I don't care if I, if I fool the fish, if he takes the fly, I just soon he got off. That's why I use barbless hooks most of the time. I'm just interested in fooling him. Mm. So I'll fish a little bit. Mostly I just watch and listen and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I do enjoy going up there. Yeah. Who do you like to take? Well, I've taken, uh, when I was teaching fly fishing at Cabela's, there was a couple of 
young fellows. I think they probably would have been younger than you at that time uh, that I taught, and they kept coming back and saying, will you take us fly? Will you take us? So I took them up to Roaring River, and one of them, that we haven't been in a long time, um, his first time to fly fish and for, for, for trout, first time to fish for trout, period. And I said, put this fly on, and you'll catch something. You'll what catch fly trout. was it? Well, it uh, it's a piece of chenille about two inches long on a small fly rod-sized jig head. They come in a variety of colors. But I've always contended that you don't see this very often, but purple is an underused color. Mm. So I'd take a purple magic marker and color it. I had to go back to my car for something. So I put it on. His first cast, he caught a trout with it. No way. So that was really rewarding to me. I was tickled to death that he did that. And you, you, were you at your car when that happened? Yes, he came back. He's holding this fish. Oh, man. You could have waited. (laughs) And I took a father and son and have enjoyed fishing with them or being there and watching them, really. Yeah. Now I've, I've got 10 grandchildren, and one of the older boys, Blake, who's 13, He's been fishing with at Roaring River with me. He's just kind of getting uh, into fly fishing, but he enjoys fishing, so we try and go whenever we can. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. So keep um, keep me on on your path. You mm-hmm. were talking about so you'd go back in the summers to Wyoming. You'd fish up there. Yes. Um, on your days off, um, and then take me from there. How how did your kind of your outdoor life kind of okay. progress, and and where did you go from there? I attended Arkansas Tech in Russellville. And my major was fisheries biology. At the time, it was the only college or university in Arkansas that offered a wildlife or fisheries management degree. Very cool. And that tied in with, you know, my love of the outdoors. But I felt like fisheries was what I wanted to do. Um, As time went by, I went an extra year and got a teaching certification because I decided, really, I think I'd like to teach. I'd been a lab assistant in botany at Tech. Okay. And so I came back here and taught biology in the same room where I had biology. (laughs) Did that for seven years. At Rogers High School? Rogers High School, right, which was at the time the only high school in Rogers. Right, right. And at Tech, there were about six of us that became good friends. Most, I think all of them were in wildlife management, but we hunted and fished together all of the time down there. And uh, so that continued my love of being in the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. With those down there, as as I'm familiar with it somewhat, you've got Lake Dardanelle down yes. there. And yes. you're probably mostly bass fishing on the fly rod. Yes. Were you yes. mostly fly fishing at that point? Or? Actually, I wasn't. Most okay. of the time I was spinning or bait casting. Okay. Um, my fly fishing in warm water has been up here. Some of the streams for smallmouth. Right. Or at the lake. Yeah. Lake Atlantic usually. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed just getting out and doing that sort of thing with these guys. And we've remained, those that are left, lifelong friends. Right. Yeah. Um, while I was teaching, 1972 was the first Earth Day. And it was started by Senator Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin. I've still got a pen from the original Earth Day. But I'd, of course, been interested in ecology and the environment. I was a I joined the National Wildlife Federation and was an avid supporter of them and the outdoors and conservation of our resources. And I guess kind of past that 
passion along to some of my students. And because of their interest, I started the first, I don't know if it's still there or not, ecology club at the high school. Oh, at Rogers? Mm-hmm. Very cool. And we would do things on Earth Day, and we'd meet at other times and discuss particular topics or go out and do something. Now, and it wasn't there then, it started at Rogers High School, uh, outdoor education. I'm not sure if it's a semester or a year. Okay. But now it's spread to the other high schools. Gosh, I wish it had been there then, and I'd love to have been involved in that. Mm-hmm. Kayaking, fly fishing, rock climbing, kayak, oh, all that stuff. Sign me up. Right. I, want, yeah. I want a class like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just the other day, my wife Madison was telling me that we were passing by Roaring River, and she's like, yeah, I used to catch trout right there on the fly rod. And I'm like, you, what? what? Where did this come from? <laughs> really? And back in high school, they used to go up to Roaring River all the time, and they'd go float, the they'd go fly fish. They'd go class. Yeah. They'd just go skip school and do that with the class. And I'm like, where was that? We needed one of those. Right? Classes. I want to go back to high school. Yeah, that's crazy. And an integral part of that education is learning to be a sports person and a gentle person in the outdoors. Yeah. What it, make that distinction for me real quick. When you say a sports person versus, um, I mean, is there a way that you that you kind of distinguish that in your head from just liking the outdoors, you know? A respect. Yeah, talk to me about For the that. outdoors. You don't trash it. Mm-hmm. You don't overfish it or overhunt it. When we were quail hunting, we would, depending on the size of the covey, we would only shoot down so many. Yeah. Leave the covey to reproduce and populate, and they'll be there again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, strict adherence to game laws. Right. Absolutely. I've never been a big game hunter. Don't care to be. Never did. But I respect that as long as people follow the game laws. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know because I've heard of it and I've seen it a little, in the winters now, November, December, January, and February, pardon me, the Game and Fish Commission stocks trout in the smaller lakes. I just saw a photo the other day that released 700 into Lake Atlanta. This will be their last month. Trout into Mm -hmm. Lake Atlanta? Uh Really? Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Lake Bentonville, uh... One of the lakes in Springdale. Don't they do one over by Crystal Bridges somewhere? Or is that? I think that's Lake Bentonville. Okay. Lake Bentonville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought Lake Atlanta was completely warm water. And you well, were... except in the winter. Right. Okay. It's spring fed, and the water in the winter is cold enough for the trout to live. Okay. Pardon me. Now, they won't survive in the summer, so it's you catch them, you keep them. Yeah. Right. You I should. You. Yeah. Um, and they're good sized. I mean, they're nice pan sized to eat. Right. Yeah. And, but I've seen people go down there and fill up a bucket. That's cool. You right. know, with, yeah, I mean, more than their, their limit should be four uh, or five. Oh, and you're they'll just keep catching. Them. I gotcha. They're meat fishermen. Gotcha. Uh, there are not yeah. enough game officials to, I don't know if anyone ever checks like Atlanta. Yeah. And that just infuriates me. Yeah. You've got to have a respect for those things. You also have a respect for your fellow sportsmen. And you particularly notice it in fly fishing. You don't crowd somebody, mm-hmm. you respect their distance. And how uh, far is that? Well, it it depends on the stream. It's okay. kind of a feel I've noticed. Yeah. Because when you go up on beaver tailwaters, it can be, depending on the day, it can be packed. I mean, yes. you can be, you know, not shoulder to shoulder, but pretty close. And you kind of got to know, like, there's some etiquette. Yes, there, it. etiquette. That's the correct word. Yeah. There is etiquette to it. But one of the things about most fly fishermen is if one of them, within vision of me, is not catching fish, and I am, I'll eventually wander down there and say, you might try this and mm-hmm. give them a fly mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. There it's a, it's, it just seems to be the sport just inherently is that way. Yeah. And that's another thing I like about it. 
Now, that's why I really enjoyed out in Wyoming. <laughs> not only were there not, not any crowds, there was usually just me. Yeah. Um, Roaring River is an insane example of fishing shoulder to shoulder. Right, right. However, in the winter, on um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's fly only, catch and release only. Uh, everything's closed, but you still have to have a Missouri license. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes stock pretty good-sized trout in there. Well, it's just fly fishermen. There's, a lot, there's still a lot of them, but a lot fewer. So it's fun to fish up there in the winter. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But those are kind of the things that I think of in about thinking of the outdoors. Respect for nature, respect for your fellow sportsmen, gun safety. Yeah. Never compromise. Yeah, critical. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. That makes sense. I just wanted to ask because that was I think yep. that was the second time you mentioned sportsmen and, yes. and you know sure. you kind of distinguished it a little bit from the way you were talking. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So and okay, so you were talking um about you I lost track of where we were. You were I was uh, telling you that while I was teaching. That's right. Uh, ecology, ecology, ecology outdoor education club. classes. Enjoyed fishing. But while I was, I mean, enjoyed teaching. While I was teaching, um, one of the city councilmen approached me, the district I lived in. He said, look, this councilman has resigned. He's moved to another district. Would you be interested in it? I said, well, Sure. I'd always been involved in student government in high school and in college. Okay. I said, sure. So I was appointed to fill out a remaining term on the city council and ran for the next one. Yeah. And by luck of the draw, I inherited chairman of the fire committee. That's what it was called at the time. Okay. So I got very interested in the fire department and because I felt like I needed to learn about it if I was going <laughs> to represent them. Right. right. Absolutely. And my interest got to be such that I became a volunteer firefighter. Okay. Enjoyed that. Well, in 1977, as school was out, Chief Whitley at the time called me to his office and he said, I want to hire the first full-time training officer in our fire department. And I'm very interested in someone who has an education background, some fire experience. He said, I want you to do it. Yeah, you fit the bill. So sounded like fun to me. I've told people all my careers I never left because I didn't enjoy what I was doing. I just think, well, that sounds like fun. Let's do that for a while. Yeah. So I joined the fire department, worked on shift for about a month, and then became a captain and the training officer. Enjoyed it immensely. Um, what did you like about doing that? I mean, that seems like a kind of an intense job, especially, you know, when, ta- when yes. you're actually fighting a fire, running into a burning building. Yes. That's it takes be- a special kind of man or woman to do that. Yeah. Um, my son is now a 17-year firefighter paramedic in Rogers. Okay. Wow. Although he just was given a promotion, he's now a captain and he's a fire marshal. Okay. That's a full-time job. Yeah, gotcha. So he's off shift. But uh, I enjoyed it immensely and I enjoyed the teaching part of it, mm-hmm. learning more myself because they'd never really had organized training. It was very slipshod. And there were things they should have been doing that they weren't. Like every time you go in, you have an air pack on. You go in as a pair. You never go in alone unless it's an absolute dire emergency. Right. And various things like that. That I and you always wear all your turnout gear. That's like fire protection. Stuff, right. See, so in the okay. old school firefighting was uh, 
well, I'd just go wander, just go bur- barreling in there with yeah. nothing but your clothes on and no breathing apparatus. <laughs> Superman style. Yeah, just Superman style. Crazy. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So I enjoyed helping them become more professional firefighters and was very content doing that. And then in 1981, then Mayor Jack Cole approached me. There was a sales tax vote going to happen in Rogers for a city sales tax, first time. And he said he wanted me to be the spokesman for the city of Rogers. <laughs> well, what was I going to say? Yeah. I worked for him. Yeah. Tragically, it didn't pass. And the reason was he was not very popular. That really is it. Okay. Well, after the defeat, he called for me to come up to the office. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> he said, John, I'm resigning. I want you to run for mayor. Oh. Really? It's a little bit different than what you thought. Yeah, I'd been on the council, as I said. Yeah. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. So I ran in a special election to fill his unexpired term. <clears throat> Pardon me. There were four of us that ran. <clears throat> Excuse me again. How old were you? 34. 34. And I was elected without a runoff. I received more than 50% of the vote with four candidates, which I was very proud of. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, so I was the youngest mayor still ever in Rogers and the longest serving mayor in Rogers. Hmm. So for the next 17 years, I was the mayor. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, wow. yeah, it was. But, it, you know, my success, what I had was due to, I guess my strength was hiring good department heads mm-hmm. and then getting out of their way. I was not a micromanager. Yeah. I'd say, if you call, if you need me, call me. But if you call me, you better need me. Just mm-hmm. go out and do your job. <laughs> yeah. Hire and smart people and let, yeah, let them do yeah. the job. Teddy Roosevelt was the first one who coined that kind of expression. Yeah. So that's what I did, and they did a marvelous job. And I had a good supportive council. Um, we had a community that was supportive. They kept backing sales tax votes. Mm-hmm. With two now, you know, there's a uh, the original one cent that I was referring to is goes to general fund every year. It's a continuing sales tax. Okay. The second one is a bond issue sales tax has to be voted in every so often if the people want you pledge to certain projects fire station police cars even whatever it is okay they always supported them so i enjoyed it very much yeah but after honestly i said i wasn't i never felt bad when i was defeated that last election i think i may have been self-defeating i it had gone from i'm not a detail person right i like to say this sounds good you go do it yeah you're a visionary well whatever if, if you will you have the vision <laughs> <laughs> they say oh geez what is he thinking of me? <laughs> and uh really most of what i'd thought of that would be good for the community or i thought it would and people seem to support it i'd done and more and more it was the ah, my neighbor's dog's barking or you know i don't yeah. I don't like to deal with that. So I, really I never did really feel bad about getting defeated. Right. Well, I'd had 17 years. Yeah. It's a good run. Yep, it was. And after that, I was interviewed and hired by Perry Butcher Architects, which at the time was a 300-member firm. It was a huge company, yeah. especially in this area. Yeah. Very few in the country bigger than that. Are they still around? I'm not... No, okay. they're not. They're there's only one person left that I know of that was with that group, and he's, uh, I can't even think of the name of the company. It's southern part of Rogers. Okay. But uh, their main customer was uh, Walmart. Okay. New stores, remodels, Sam's Clubs, and I kind of fell into dealing with those some, although my job was as 
community community government coordinator to try and market right. marketing to government entities, cities, and others that were looking to build a project, and yeah. I would go tell them why they ought to hire our company. Okay, gotcha. Enjoyed that. Um, while I was doing that, I was approached by an old friend named George Wheatley, who had been the mayor of Magnolia when I was mayor of Rogers, and he'd been a former firefighter like I had. He was like the state director for government relations for waste management. And he approached me. He said, I want, I'd like you to do that for Northwest Arkansas. And I thought, well, that sounds like kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Familiar. Did that and knew nothing about it, really. <laughs> and enjoyed that. Um, let's see what came after that. Oh, I was hired away from that. There was an organization starting, <clears throat> excuse me, called the Northwest Arkansas Conservation Authority. Mm. It's a government entity of sorts of 10 cities in northwest Arkansas with the goal of building a regional wastewater treatment plant. I could spend the next hour talking about why and you know, EPA and that sort of thing. Right. And they talked me into, a good friend was chairman. Matter of fact, I'd appointed him to the Rogers Water Utility, I think. He talked me into it. Sounded like an exciting thing to do, a necessary thing to do to preserve our watershed. So again, it ties in with the outdoors. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> they had a good idea, but they didn't have any money. He was convinced. He said, this is a regional effort, protect the regional watershed. There's money in Washington. <clears throat> I said, well, I don't think so. So a group of us went to Washington and they said, no, there isn't any. Yeah. Although the head of the water for EPA at the time said, at that time, and that would have been in the early 2000s, okay. he estimated $500 billion to address infrastructure in the United States. That was more than 20 years ago. You'll notice today, as a brief aside, whenever they talk about infrastructure, they never mention sewer. Mm. Roads, bridges, water sometimes. Yeah. But... And I learned this, of course. You can have the finest divided highway in the world for economic development. And if at the end of it there's not municipal sewer, you're not going to have development. Mm. You have to have municipal sewer to attract businesses and industries. You just have to. Okay. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I spent my time in what I call the invisible infrastructure. Waste, solid waste, and then uh, uh, wastewater. Learned a lot. Still feel passionately about them. Mm. It's a great experience. And again, both really tied with outdoors. I taught uh, reduce, reuse, and recycle for waste management. I was always talking about wastewater and uh, how, how it was treated and why. And that, you know, our, our plant was one unlike any in the, this, this region of the EPA. Literally, the water that comes out of the outfall line, I still say ours. You could drink it. The, when you say the outfall line. The water, after it's all been treated and it goes back into the creek, oh, okay. it's pure enough where you could drink it. Oh. The water above the outfall is less, is worse than the water below, which is where our, we contribute to the stream. Gotcha. Amazing plant. That's amazing. So that's where the creeks that, you know, the fish are swimming in that we're going to catch. Yeah, Osage Creek. Osage Creek. Osage Creek right is the, the right. Right, over at Heifel, Heifel okay. area. Yeah, I know it. 
Well, coming home from Washington, <coughs> I thought, well, how are we going to do this? We hired a bond company and engineers from Kansas City and got in the process of trying to put this together. Two cities opted to join at the time, Bentonville and Tawnytown. Bentonville's plant was running out of capacity. They had bought some land that they were going to expand to, which ended up being the land we bought from them for the regional plant. Mm -hmm. And Toddy Town's representative was passionate about getting sewer over there. Well, the rates were pretty steep. The fewer, contribu the, the fewer customers you have, the higher the rates are. So especially at Tawny Town Hard. Yeah. But what a difference. You go through Tawny Town now and look at the development. Go through some of the others, there isn't any. Yeah. Just like I said, you've got to have municipal sewer. Right. Now Cave Springs and Elm Springs are coming on. Um, so that will that will add to it. But anyway, so the rates were established. That's gonna be part of what but that's not gonna be enough. I mean, we gotta get the plant up and operating before we get any revenue. So we asked the governor to come up here and <laughs> Boldly in the meeting, I said, Governor, we need your help. We need funds to operate on until revenue starts coming in. I said, we need $5 million from your rainy day fund. And he gave it to us. Wow. That's a chunk. Toted the note for us. Went and bought we... a new fishing boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I lived high on the hog. Yeah. <laughs> um, that really, the rates that were going to come in and that money from him really started it off and I'm very proud of the fact that we came in on time and under budget by several million dollars yeah. very few government projects happen that way yeah you don't hear about that a lot I feel mm -hmm. like I, I'm not super in the know on, on a lot of government projects but I feel like it's always more than you thought it always takes exactly. way longer than you thought you always spend you it's just, a, I mean that's with everything yeah yeah <laughs> well you know Beaver Pilot. Water District is where we get our water okay from Beaver Lake and yeah. that that was a visionary project of men that are gone now to form the Beaver Water District. It's the source of an endless supply of clean water as far into the future as any of us can even imagine. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, 50 years from now, they'll say the same thing about NACA. Because NACA is what? The Northwest Arkansas Conservation Authority, the regional wastewater treatment plant. We've okay. got a lot of land out there. They're starting their first expansion now because the EPA will no longer grant permits for individual new individual sewer plants is it all regional now it's going to be huh because they can't build a, a if you're in cave springs you can't build the cave springs wastewater treatment plant they won't allow it mm -hmm. in this watershed so uh, it's the it's it's so, that this is it so and when you say wastewater is that like Toilet. Yeah, and it's sink the gray water that comes from your house. Okay. Yeah. Most of it comes from your sink, your dishwasher, and your and your uh, washing machine. Okay. Most people think of it as the toilet. Well, yeah, it all comes in there. Yeah. But and uh, that's important because that then flows into our creeks. Exactly. Where outdoorsmen are fishing. Exactly. And or it go or, or you have septic tanks that end up if they're not done just right and maintained properly end up contaminating the ground the the land and the groundwater and runoff. Yeah. Yeah. There's agricultural runoff, which is more difficult to deal with politically. Okay. But that regional wastewater treatment plant is state-of-the-art. That's awesome. And will continue to be that way. Recently, I was appointed to be on the board of directors, so I'm kind of going back to it. Yeah. No, so uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, enjoyed doing that. And after I left there, because really there wasn't anything much more for me to do, um, 
I didn't do anything for a while. And then I heard about Cabela's coming to Rogers. It was my vision. How, how long did it take after? How long was it between mm, your last job and Cabela's? Year and or a half. you didn't work. Two years, probably. Okay. okay. Which probably for you seemed like a long time because you're. <laughs> it sounds like you've done a lot. You're a you know, busy guy. Yeah, Two years is a lot to keep busy. Yeah. I need to keep busy. Yeah. Um, although I cook, I clean, I do the. I mean, I do all that because I enjoy doing it. Right. Especially cooking. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. But so Cabela's is coming. You I get lonely. It. I talk to the dog, and <laughs> so I'm going Alfred, back. Alfred, yeah, Alfred, he's a good listener, but he doesn't contribute much. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going back out there. Well, oh, I had said I years before, whenever there would be a meeting of the Chamber of Commerce or local leaders about what we need to do in the future, mm -hmm. one of the things was I said for tourism. I said we need a Cabela's. Eh, well, that's not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was driving past basically where Cabela's is now on the highway when right. the mayor called me, Mayor Hines, and said, John, guess what? Cabela's is coming to Rogers. And I nearly ran off the road. And said, I <laughs> told you that. <laughs> so I interviewed with them because I thought, whoa, maybe I can go out and fly fishing shop. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Sounds like a great job. And at this point, you're you're retired. Right. Yep. So I interviewed with them and they were unduly impressed with my resume, which they asked for, and, you know, kind of stuttering around. I said, look, 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 let me assure you something. I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to be a lead. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make decisions. I just want to be in the fly shop and be left alone. <laughs> so it pretty much worked out that way. So I helped open the store. I was one of the original outfitters and did it for seven years. And a lot of the time it was just me. Mm -hmm. So I said, that's my shop. That's why I need to go back out there. Yeah. There's a good outfitter there now, but he can't work seven days a week. Right. What What was that like opening up an outdoor shop? I mean, I know Cabela's is part of a corporation, and and you've probably got the the backing and support of them, and they've probably got a formula that they do. But it as was you being in the store, what was it like? It was an amazing experience for an old man especially. <laughs> we uh, had trainings, many days of training. And then finally, they let us go into the store. It was it was completed outside and the amenities inside, which is just awesome to us. Yeah. But there weren't any merchandise set out. Right. There were racks and stuff, but no merchandise. So we spent, I don't know how many days, filling it up, stocking the racks and all of that. Okay. <laughs> all Back the hooks, the material. Oh, yeah. The rods. And it's eight to 10 hours a day. I, I mean, I'd come home and collapse. I don't usually take baths. I like showers, but I'd collapse in the jacuzzi. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it today. Yeah. But that's, and then we had the grand opening. The president of Cabela's was there, and we had a grand opening, and uh, people loved the store, of course. It's iconic for outdoor uh, activities. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And at the time, the Cabela's were still involved with it, but it became a stock company and things changed. Yeah. And then Bass Pro bought it. That's and right. that was kind of, I was still there and it was kind of hard. I thought, well, that's the enemy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to like this. Yeah. Well, it was great. Tommy Morris is a true outdoorsman and the store looked better. Tommy Morris is who? He's the president of Bass Pro. Okay. Founder and president. Johnny Morris. Johnny Morris. Johnny Morris. Tommy. Tommy, Tommy was a golfer in Scotland. Yep. I'm sorry. Johnny Morris. Johnny Morris. Okay. Yeah, Johnny Morris. And uh, it's just great. Of course, I always teased him. I said, you know, 
every other Cabela's and Bass Pro has a pond. <laughs> Where they, matter of fact, the head, of the, the the manager at the store, Johnny Morris, was coming in. They dragged me into the back because they were afraid I'd jump him about the pond. <laughs> There's still no pond. <laughs> anyway, I had a great time, and I'm looking. I didn't leave because I didn't like it. Just a quick reference: my older brother, whose health was health was failing. We convinced my wife and I to sell his home in Albuquerque and move here and live with us. Okay, gotcha. We had a good year and a half before his health really failed. Mm-hmm. And that last December before he passed away, the end of December, I was having to miss too much work. Okay. And I didn't know how long it would go on, so I told him I needed to leave. And after he passed away, then COVID started, and I certainly didn't want to be out there for that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've just not done anything since then, but I'm I'm – Excited about going but, back. So you're headed back, is, yeah, is what you're saying. Back. Okay. Three days a week. Okay. Very cool. Yep. And and I think that's that's huge because you know, as you tell the kind of the story of the different things you've done, again and again, I hear um the passion for teaching. Yes. You love to teach. Yes. You, you talked about the classes that you set up at Rogers High School, how you went from teaching and being a teacher into all these different career paths and but along the way you were always teaching. And now you're kind of you do some of the same stuff that does that has that stuck in your philosophy as you work at Bass Pro and um, as you know, as you plan to go back, as you talk with people who mm-hmm. want to learn about fly fishing, it sounds like you kind of, you've done some of that when you were working at Cabela's before and you were, I, I came and met with you two mm-hmm. years ago. We, yeah. You talked to me, I was just getting into fly fishing and you <laughs> talked to me all about like how to change um, my fly line and how to do, you know, here's what you need to go do when you go to the beaver tailwater, try this fly, do this. If this is happening, switch it up. That's so probably important. something about a marabou jig, olive and peach <laughs> or marabou, something. Olive and peach marabou yeah. jig. Yeah. A lot of people, when they first approach fly fishing, are very intimidated. They think it's something that's mystical about, well, in the way it is. But, I mean, they think it's it's too difficult for them. It's only for... Scottish men in tweed suits fishing right. the chalk streams in Scotland. And right. it's not for a mere mortal to do. Yeah, that's how. That's exactly how I felt. Exactly. Right. See? And what I tried to do was put people at ease and say, look, fly fishing is not difficult. Believe me, when you leave this class about an hour, you can throw a fly, have some fun, catch some fish. If you want to get into all of the things about fly fishing, you can do that later on. But this is just to get you started. It's not complicated. I'm not going to be complicated. It's very simple. Give you some, let you get started out there. And I've tried to do it that way to put people at ease Mm -hmm. because it's a wonderful sport. It's a relaxing sport. I taught one banker and he told me after that, he said, John, I've never relaxed so much in my life. I'm so glad that you taught me to fly fish. That's cool. And uh, it's just like that. It's very relaxing, very relaxing. And I enjoy doing that. And I just enjoy I try and make things dumb, not dumb them down, but make things simple. You know, the Occam's razor says, all things considered, the simplest solution is the best solution. Mm, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I remember um, that at the time getting into it, I was also, I had been doing it for a little bit, but like I had bought my rod and I had been out a couple of times, but I was trying to figure out how to get um, Kenzie, my wife, to like come out and try it, see if she'd like it. And I was asking you if you ever taught classes or did lessons. Mm-hmm. You did that, right? Do you mm-hmm. still do that? Are you planning to do that? I hope I can. Okay. I would offer, uh, excuse me, I would offer classes twice a month okay. while I was there. Sometimes there'd be one person, sometimes no, none, sometimes half a dozen to 10 or 12. Yeah. We just offered it if, if anyone came. 
And I'm, I'm hopeful maybe I can do that again. I think there are people out there that would still like to learn. The fastest growing demographic in fly fishing now is women. Yeah. And women are especially intimidated, and they shouldn't be. If a husband and wife have come in and he fly fishes and, I've sit, and his wife wants to learn, I said, she comes alone, you stay home. Yeah. <laughs> that never works. Yeah. No. Or it wouldn't matter who. If you've got a partner, brother, sister, wife, whatever, you don't. They, they don't need to be there. Yeah. You're learning to fly fish. Just because you say that because they they get in the way a little bit. They have their own philosophy. Yeah, they get in the way. And Plus, you- the <laughs> other person is intimidated, nervous, because they know that their partner knows how. Gotcha. Supposedly. So, so they say. One of the other things I tell people at the beginning is this is not an expensive sport. Now, you can make it that way, yeah. like any sport. Absolutely. But... A combo, which is your rod, reel, line, backing, and a leader, $150, $160 to get started. That's for a pretty nice one. That's too. a nice one. Yeah. I've told them I wouldn't trust, well, anything under $100 for a combo is literally a very inexpensive starter outfit. Yeah. If you think you like fly fishing, you're not going to be with it long. Um. From $100 up on regular price, you'd be in good shape. From 150 up, around 150 you could use it the rest of your life. Yeah, okay. Like the RLS Plus combo that we had when it was Cabela's, yeah. which is what I use now. Right. Yeah, yeah. So gone geez, through like, I've gone through like eight of those. No, yeah. Break the tip, break it in half, step yeah. on it. So clumsy. Catch it on a tree. So clumsy. clumsy. <laughs> yeah. They all get replaced, though. Yep. They're dead. That was- did. They, yeah, the old Cabela's warranty. Yeah, we were just talking about that off air. Mm-hmm. It used to be Cabela's. You could you could go in, you could buy the rod, go out in the parking lot, run it over, <laughs> and take it back in, and they would replace it. It's exactly the example I tell people. Okay. If it was a Cabela's rod, right. right? Absolutely, no questions asked. Waiters, anything. Yeah, with the Cabela's name on it was mm-hmm. a lifetime guarantee warranty. We bought um, Daniel and I. We bought let's over the this last summer. We went to Walmart and we bought. Um, the $40 Ozark trail rod, which is, it's completely, it is so cheap and it's, um, it's graphite. It would be graphite, I think. And so it's super, super flexible. And, but we made a video on it, uh, on YouTube. And just to, just to kind of set the example of, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You can go buy a $40 rod and mm-hmm. some flies and a little bit. We spent like 55 bucks you can. and we went out and we caught fish all day long yep. on Osage, yes. on Osage Creek. And yes. it was just, it was a lot of fun, but like anything else, like you said, you can spend as much money as you want to on it, but you don't have Well, to. and the, the, the difference is, what's the difference between a $40 rod and a $400 rod, other than the price? It has to do with the type of proprietary resin that they've developed. It has to do with the type and numbers of different kinds of graphite used in the rod. You know, it makes these things the more expensive, pinpoint accurate, if that's important to you. Right. And to some it is. Uh, it's also... a ego thing for some people they feel like they need to have it and that's okay that's what they want to do yeah but you're right you don't have to spend a lot of money to enjoy fly fishing if you really enjoy it you'll probably want to up your game a little bit with a little more responsive outfit yeah yeah totally. generally all you need to replace is the rod in the same weight the reel doesn't matter much all it does is hold the line right but the rod's pretty important yeah i'm curious how many rods do you have eight eight do you use one all yes. the time? How much I use is that a one? Or what is RLS that one? Plus four weight. How much is that? 
it was $149 when I got it. You've been um, fly fishing for how long? 65 years. And that's your rod of choice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, let me digress again a minute. When I was in Wyoming, my uncle and I both bought state-of-the-art Fenwick fiberglass fly rods. Until I went to Cabela's, fiberglass was all I'd ever used. Mm. So that's what I learned on. Fiberglass is especially suited to dry fly fishing. It's a very slow rod, which means it's very whippy. Mm-hmm. Graphite is a fast rod, which means it's stiffer. Oddly enough, I think I misspoke. The Ozark Trail, I think, was fiberglass because it was much more okay whippy, and yep. it was and I, it's cheaper. Right, that's what I mm-hmm. that's what I was yep. thinking. It's yeah. strong. Yeah, you'll notice some of the fishing rods out at Bass Pro have a fiberglass tip about the, you know eight, ten, twelve mm-hmm. inches long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's virtually impossible to break that. Really? Yeah, that's why it's on there. But so I had to learn how to throw the faster rod. Uh, and that's what I use now is the graphite. I'll mm-hmm. still use the the Fenwick occasionally. Is yeah. that for shorter casting and stuff like that? No, I still have a six weight in it and a four weight. Okay. Um, but I'm just more comfortable with the RLS Plus graphite combo now. What weight do you use? F- uh, Any more four. Okay. I yeah. started with a five, which is the most versatile weight. Mm-hmm. But I really like the little bit lighter weight four, which is plenty for Roaring River. And for the most part, it's plenty for just about anything uh, below the dam. Yeah. 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 Unless you're catching sharks. Yeah, right. When you're catching sharks, you got to have a bigger one. Right. Right. <laughs> and you don't lip Backstory. Them. You don't lip the That's kind of how, yeah, no, you don't. That's kind of <laughs> how John and I met was. Yeah. We were talking about fishing and he got me into it. And long story short, he got me into my favorite hobby, which is catching sharks on the fly rod. He sent me the pic. You were still down there. Right. And you sent yeah. me that picture. <laughs> Shark about this long, I think. That's and I had it up in there for a long time. That I remember cool. seeing that. That was how we made, I made the connection that you knew Josh and I, you know, talking to you that day, I was like, that's Josh Launch. I know that dude. The thing I love about John is he makes everybody feel like a celebrity. Whatever I was in there sharing <laughs> about this story, he goes, and oh, he's like, so bring ex- me a picture. Let me put it up here. It's and- so exciting and rewarding to me when something like that happens or when someone comes back and says, oh, I have so much enjoying fly fishing. I, I just, it's very rewarding to me because mm. I, to share that. It's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. One other thing I might mention as far as related to the outdoors, in teaching the fly fishing, there's some conservation in there. For example, I teach them, while they're a little more expensive, always get a rubber net. Mm, yeah. The netting should be rubber because that? it's less destructive to the slime coating of trout. The yes. slime coating? Yes. The trout are covered with a slime coating that protects them because okay. right. their scales are almost non-existent uh, other fish don't have that if you damage that slime coating they're subject to infection a fungus yeast bacteria so th- it doesn't come off in a mm. rubber net with a fabric net it does mm. the other problem with a fabric net is if you get the barb of the hook <laughs> you might as well cut it off yeah. and go fishing yeah. and try I- and get it out later <laughs> I I made the mistake. I bought a fabric net. Yeah, they're cheap. Originally, and it was, yeah, it was like, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. Yeah. I think I used it once, and I got, I caught probably three fish, and I knew immediately, I was like, this is not going to work, because every single fish I caught, my hook would get stuck. I'd cut it, but then I'd drop it back in the net. It'd get stuck again. I had to cut the net. End of the day, I have 10 holes in my net. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's not even a net anymore. This is just holes. And five ruined flies, because you can't get the fabric off. Exactly. Yeah. We, we have... 
fabric nets. I looked the other day. There's only one or two. And I told folks, I said, look, it's more expensive if you don't want to buy one now. But eventually get to that because yeah. you're protecting the trout, conservation, protecting those fish. Is that just trout? Or do well, you have to do that for bass? You use it with all of them. Okay. But bass and the warm water fish have such big, uh, strong scales yeah. that a coating is not as important to them. Cool as it is to the cold water fish, the trout, right. salmon, and that kind of thing. And you can see it, too, on, on some of the, like, you can tell when it, just by looking at them, you can kind of get a gauge of the health of the fish. Yes. Because I've caught some fish that seem like they've got that infection, and they yes. have, like, a, a you know, a, um, a sore or something yes. like that where yes. the coating has come off. Yes. And I actually, um, about a year ago, we were up there, and on really cold days, that water's cold, you want to put on, on wool gloves. Yeah. And I didn't know for the longest time until actually someone commented on one of our Instagram posts that, like, yeah, you need to take off your glove when you're handling the fish because right. your wool mm. glove can rub off that slime. Yes. And it can actually hurt and damage the fish. I tell people that at the very least, get your hand wet before you attempt to pick up the fish and remove the hook. Mm. Yeah. And if your goal is catch and release, just bend the barb off your hook. Right. It's hard to buy barbless flies. Right. But you can make them barbless by crimping the barb. Yeah. And that way you can use a needle nose pliers or a, a, a forceps and just grab the hook and you know, they never get out of the water. Right. So that's conservation. Yeah. To do that. Yeah. And don't trash the streams up. Yeah. You know, leave no trace behind. What happens to a trout that slime does get rubbed off? They're liable to become infected with well, either bacteria infected, or they, fungus. Do they die or does skin? it just yes, spread disease yes. or what is it? Both. Okay. Both. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so when you're going out and hopefully you get to do some of these, these lessons when you come mm-hmm. back to Bass Pro and, and stuff like that, but um, conservation is a big part of what you teach beginners. What else do you tell beginners as someone who's just getting into it? You know, how, do you, how do you get someone started in the right direction? Well, uh, okay. Other than you mentioned making it simple and stuff like right. that. But. Making it simple and, by the t- and I, we go out and practice cast. Mm-hmm. And I can generally get them to where they can throw a fly successfully from here to that television set. Okay. So That's about 90% of the distance you ever need. Right. About 20 feet, 30 yeah. feet. Yeah. Something like that. I said, don't start pulling out line and try. Just work towards it. When you're at home, tie something on the end of your leader that you can see, like yarn or something, and get out in the yard and practice. Don't practice on concrete or it'll damage your fly line right but just get out and practice remember what i've taught you about how to do this without having a problem and you know i've said when i've talked about the cost and the bewildering number of flies i said all right i can show you let's say half a dozen flies that are don't leave home without them for anything you're going to fish for you can try any of them but if you want something you don't know what to get i can show you that's why i'm here yeah and I also tell them that here's all you need to go fly fishing. You need the combo. Or you can buy them individually, but you need the rod, the reel, the backing, the line, and the leader. Right. You need a net. You need some flies. That's all you need. That's all you have to have to go fly fishing. Yep. Um, if you want to get weight, if you're going to be fishing in the cold water that you have to wade in, you've got to have waders. <laughs> you're gonna or you'll freeze to death and die. Yeah. <laughs> We, we had a buddy who, was it you, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, it was Daniel. He he's uh, he went with Kyle Plunkett, one of the other guys who's been on here, 
and um, you didn't have waders, and you went fishing up at Beaver Tailwaters, and Daniel was just freezing to death. He thought he was. I think Kyle told you that it was going to be okay. Yeah. 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 So I have like shorts on, a beer, my, you know, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> Daniel's there for the hang. This little area, and I was like, oh, okay. It's freezing. I'm walking over, and I fell. Oh. And I like, people were there, and they were like laughing. And I was trying to be like, ah, oh, that's cool. I was freezing. Oh. Yeah. It didn't bother me. Yeah. I'm like, I can't feel my feet. Yeah. <laughs> So you got to have waders. Yeah. Daniel learned that the a hard way. A boat or waders. I yeah, remember the first true. time I about. felt that water. It's like ice, man. It is. Yeah. It's freezing. It's the only time I've waded it without waders, it was just, you know, not getting really over my ankles going from one shallow place to another. I, it's hard to fly fish from shore below Beaver Dam. Mm-hmm. There's just so much brush. Trees. You really, to consistently have a chance to fly fish and catch trout below beaver you need to be in a boat a kayak or a canoe yeah yeah you really do you do especially yeah. when they're it's not low water right if you have any water coming through you got to be in something or yeah. or being able to get and that's why it. i tell people roaring river or one of the local warm water lakes <clears throat> is the best place to start and develop your fly casting because at roaring river other than a rise occasionally there's there's many opportunities to back cast mm. without getting into something yeah Fall down to below the dam it's tough yeah and it's frustrating they'll get a fly hook they'll break it off that wind coming off the dams mm-hmm. oh, ripping yeah. getting your line all tangled yeah 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 where have you um one of the things that i wanted to talk about with with your career as as mayor and kind of being in legislation were there ever times that you got to overlap with like game and fish on certain policies or did you have any tie-ins with them or get to work in the outdoor industry at all with, with your role as mayor serving those 17 years? Well, one of the things I remember was we had a going to pass an ordinance that would prohibit the discharge of firearms within the city limits. Okay. Safety reasons. Yeah. I think probably most cities have that. Well, there was a state legislator, oh, I won't mention his last name, but we called him Bullet Bob, okay. that was trying to pass a, a, a bill in the in the, how, in the legislature yeah. where cities couldn't do that. And lo and behold, who shows up at the hearing but the head of the NRA? Oh. <laughs> Should be able to remember his name. Oh, man. Boy, did I get some dirty looks. Yeah, I bet. The head of the municipal league, which is the city's arm at the state level, and I testified against that bill, and it didn't pass. It was defeated. Okay. But the way he looked at me, I thought, geez, I may need an armed escort out of here. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. So I was successful at doing that. Roundabout way of what you're talking about. Yeah, but I got gotcha. you. Josh was asking me if it had anything to do with then you, but we allowed bow hunting, and I said, "No, no, no! You could always bow hunt in Rogers." Okay. Cities cannot usurp the state game and fish commission. We can't set game laws because that's a separate yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it always has been where if you wanted to, you could hunt with a bow or practice with a bow in the city limits of Rogers, whether it's a long bow, compound bow, or crossbow or whatever. Yeah. So it didn't affect that. That was always that way, but we just didn't want people shooting guns within the city limits. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that continues till today. Um, there were some, 
I was on the quorum court for one term. Benton County Quorum Court, you know what that is? I do not, no. It's like, let me just say, it's like the county's version of city councilman. Okay. The county judge is like the county version of a mayor. Okay, gotcha. Now, the laws regarding them are a little bit different, but we'll just put it that way. It wasn't anything I wanted to do because I'm a child of the city. County's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. But I was asked to do it, so I did. During the course of that term... Beaver Water District was trying to work up a decent watershed protection bill for the county to pass on the distance from the water to, you know, you leave it, leave it, let the, let, the, let the plants absorb the runoff that's coming, protect the shoreline and so on. Uh, people showed up at the meeting all wearing red T-shirts saying, protect our private property rights. Mm. There were signs out along the lake, protect our private property rights. Once again, I was glared at because I made the motion to support it. Oh, okay. I never backed off of it. Yeah. Didn't, we weren't ever able to do it, although there are protections in place that have happened, and so I was, I'm pleased with that. Yeah, gotcha. I was on the uh, appointed a member of the Illinois River Watershed Partnership Board of Directors, which okay. is headquartered in Cave Springs. Mm-hmm. So I had a hand in trying to protect the watershed as well. That sounds that cool. way, um, I was on an advisory board for Nature Conservancy, mm-hmm. you know, that buys land uh, to preserve. Okay. So I've always had a hand somehow in those things, which I consider important, and I have passion for them. I finally backed off of a lot of it. It seemed like all I was doing was going to meetings, and I was getting kind of tired of it. Yeah. In some ways, I don't. Relish going into where there are crowds. I mean, Bass Pro Cabela's is different, but I mean, I'm not interested in going to meetings or to political gatherings or anything like that. Right, right. I've had all of that I want. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but I, I'm really yeah. don't want to do it anymore. You did your time. You, yeah. you were Leave there. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Well, we're, we're looking forward to having you back at um, Bass Pro and seeing you when we go in there. Thank you. Because I'm up in Bentonville now and I, you know, a lot of the times Bass Pro is where I end up going just because it's the, the closest place. It's, you know, there's McClellan's Fly Shop down in Fayetteville, but that's quite the drive to get down there for sure. me sometimes. So mm-hmm. Bass Pro is the go-to for me for a lot of just kind of the, the average things that I need to buy, especially for hunting stuff. So looking forward to seeing you in there for sure. You remind me, let me mention this to you because as a mayor and a citizen, when I was growing up here, Fayetteville was where you'd go to a restaurant or to buy stuff, retail stores. There just wasn't a lot. There were some in Rogers, but it was fun and exciting and a great bigger, a much bigger choice of things in Fayetteville. But it was so far and took so long on Highway 71, two lane road. Right. You'd save up. Well, okay, we're going to do this. We'll go now. Gosh, it'd take 30 minutes or more to get down there. Now we have this six-lane divided road. It's great. The outtakes us 30 minutes to get there. It's the same thing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of the traffic. What have we done? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but tell people, thank God for the traffic. You know what they're going? To good jobs. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. If you think the problems of prosperity are difficult, let me take you over to the Delta. Mm. See what the problems of poverty are like. Coming through Dumas one time in southeastern Arkansas, coming from a... HUD advisory board meeting. And I thought, if I was the mayor or the head of the Chamber of Commerce, superintendent of schools, or the local minister, how could I offer my people any hope? It's Yeah. 
I'm not picking on Dumas, but I mean, some of those places, they just can't find a solution. Mm. So I'd rather have what we have. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It'll take the traffic sometimes. Sure. And still with all of this megalopolis on the interstate, you don't have to go more than 10 minutes east and you're in the woods and the mountains and the lakes and the streams. Yeah. Yeah. You know. We're complaining about having to drive 45 minutes to other side of Fayetteville when people are driving two and a half hours in traffic and driving 30 miles in Dallas to get to work sometimes. Or know? to get a gallon of mail. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a, I mean, we obviously we love the Ozarks. We think this, this area is special. Northwest Arkansas specifically is where we live. So that's what we talk about a lot, but um, it's a, it's a unique place. And I think you, being someone who's lived here for so long and has seen how it's changed, but you've also spent some time in some other places and I'm sure your job took you to other cities yes. and places. So yes. you've, you've probably been able to see, um, you know, how, how is our area in the Ozarks? How is it unique um, compared to some of the other places you've been in terms of, um, you know, the cities, but with combined with the outdoor opportunities and activities? I think one thing that defines it is quality of life. Because as I said, I think earlier, economically, um, as far as being heavily involved in electronics and the space age type of thing, we've got that. Yeah, technology. We've got great educational systems in each of the cities, University of Arkansas, community college, um, medical community. While it's just still hard sometimes to get in, we've got virtually every specialty virtually up here, and there'll be more. So there are places that are begging for a doctor, let alone a hospital, and we've got several of them, several choices. Aesthetics, they're there. What other city this size would have Top Golf? Yeah. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> um <laughs> The amp, yeah, the crystal amp, bridges. crystal bridges, the amazium, yeah, the university, yes, all the the sports and the naturals and yes, the, all the stuff. There are people that come here that've never been here before. <laughs> Think we're all ignorant hillbillies, marry our sister, you know, and barefoot <laughs> yeah. and all that. Yeah, they nearly run off the road. I think, where are we? Yeah. Just some of us. This isn't. A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, some of you do, but speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, if she ain't good enough for her family. She, um, <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> people are amazed at this place. They can't believe it. Bike trails. We're one of oh, yeah. an international def- destination now for bikes. Mm-hmm. There was an interna- There have been more than one international championships held here. Mm-hmm. Mountain biking capital of the world. Yes, virtually, and that is an economic factor. It's not just an aesthetic factor. It used to be a aesthetic factor. Oh, right. well, yeah, those would be nice, but yeah. we can't afford those. Yeah. They're an economic... A lot of people choose whether or not they're going to come to a place by the availability of bike trails. Right. There's a building being built in Bentonville that's ramped so you can ride your bicycle up to your office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's called the Ledger Building. Yeah. 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 Josh and I look... It's the first close, so. bike through office in the world. There are just things here that you don't find other than major metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. And then, coupled with that, as I say, you don't have to go far for great outdoor adventures. Right. The local lakes, uh, Beaver Lake, Camping, Hobbs Estate. Yeah. All of those things are available out there. I have a question about Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Was that a thing whenever you were a kid? Was there public no. land out there? No. What no, was that it like? was still private land. Uh, Roscoe Hobbs was a timber man. 
Okay. But when he passed away, he left it to the state of Arkansas. It's the largest state park. So he owned all of that land. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And it's it's the largest park, and it's basically a wilderness park. You know, there's there are trails, <clears throat> and there's the wonderful center there. And I was on the Friends of the Hobbs that helped get that done. That's a wonderful, hands-on, interactive type of thing. And there's another one in Springdale, the J.B. and John L. Hunt Nature Center, which mm-hmm. is a Game and Fish Commission right, yeah. project. That's a great place. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've been there a few times to shoot, yeah. shoot our bows. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. I may talk to them. They asked me if I wanted to teach fly fishing sometimes. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be really cool. I think that's something that, um, you know, obviously if you're doing it at Bass Pro, you, you can offer it there. But Yeah, I can do it anywhere. I right? think it's something that, um, that I, I don't know, this area kind of needs because I don't, there's not really a place to go do that other than just watching YouTube videos and doing it online. But you really right. have to be you do, doing you need, it. You need someone there yeah really to get started yeah you can refine what you do maybe after that on videos and and you may be successful that way but i think it helps and it also helps when the person makes it simple Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Hmm. absolutely don't try and impress them with what you know right so it's a lot of fun but i think those are the things that make this such a desirable place to live Mm -hmm. plus the, 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 the work ethic and the friendliness of the people. Yeah, I've had people from Los Angeles tell me, if you were someone was trying to get in the traffic and you stopped and motioned them in, you'd get shot in Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, the, those kinds of things. Yeah, the simple the courtesies. Yeah. I always say hello to someone as I walk past them. Well, they just don't do that in other places. So our friendliness, our quality of life, our job opportunities, educate, all of those things, we've got it all. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a bubble. It's like there's a bubble over this. Definitely, definitely feels like that. Yeah, it does. There's one last thing I wanted to ask sure. you, and then we'll we'll get out of your hair. But you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, and as we're talking about how how things have changed, yes. One of the things you talked about was quail hunting. Yes, and, yes. And there, uh, you used to do you used to do that, but there's not quails here left to my knowledge, right? No. What what did that used to be like? Because I'm honestly a little jealous that that was oh, yeah. something right. that you used to it be able was to do a, here. Especially it, with Knox, your oh, GSP. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yours. Right. <laughs> it was a cherished way of life here, quail season. <laughs> I was in high school and had a friend that had a pickup truck. Shotguns would be in the rack in the back of the pickup. Can <laughs> you imagine doing that today? Yeah, no. <laughs> and there'd be a dog box in the back, and after school you'd run home and grab the dogs and go out and quail hunt for a while. I used to quail hunt out here where Pinnacle is. Other places. No way. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now it's all paved. Um, <laughs> I remember when. Yeah, right. Back in my day. Back in my day. We <laughs> uphill. Uh, yeah, walked up. Um, what destroyed the quail population wasn't hunting. Okay. It was two things. It was agricultural practices, which wiped out fence rows. Mm, and okay. using mm. fescue in the fields rather than native grasses or uh, Bermuda. Why did they switch? Cheaper. Really? Cheaper. But mm-hmm. that, so it's the native grasses, that's like the, that's where they would make their coveys in. They, yes. Their, their nest would be in that They taller. need brush piles, they need fence rows, and they need native grasses. Okay. Um, which were always here before. Okay. But the advent of fescue was cheaper. They could get more cuttings a year for their cattle in the winter. Mm-hmm. 
But fescue is a funny thing. It outcompetes other grasses. It secretes a hormone, an enzyme that sometimes kills other grasses. It dominates the soil. Yeah, it yeah. dominates the soil. And and it's it's unhealthy. Not only do quail not like it, it's unhealthy for them. Mm-hmm. So they just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, there's there are efforts now, private and governmental, to restore quail habitat and to reintroduce quail. Down at the J.B. John L. Hunt Center, you may have noticed there's a pen outside with some quail in it. Mm. Oh, I haven't seen uh, that. Yeah, yeah there, there, at least there was last time I was there. Okay, I need to go look at but those. But it was a way of life. Too. I mean, you just, it's just something that you did. What was the limit back then? Or how many would you sh- typically shoot on the hunt? Yeah, what, were there a, was there a limit or was that part of the issue? Was yeah, it wasn't no, regular? no, there was a limit. Okay. There was a limit then. I, I want to say six. Okay. A person. Mm-hmm. But if we saw, if we jumped a covey and saw a dozen birds, we'd probably kill four, five, maybe. Right. And then not hunt them anymore, move to another covey. You've got to leave something for the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that's very important. There are hunters that would kill everything that flew. Yeah. But they're not sportsmen. Right, right. And, uh, gosh, I love. I always enjoyed hunting that involved a dog. Yeah. Rabbit hunting, quail hunting, uh, duck hunting. Mm-hmm. I always enjoyed that as much as anything else. So my friend, the Lingles, had some great bird dogs, and we'd sometimes excited because Mr. Lingle and the coaches here, Coach Bond, Coach Tillery, Jack Reed, others that were respected adults, would say, well, you go with us. Wow, that was a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that is cool. But it's where you learn what you do and don't do in the woods with a gun. Hmm. But then sometimes Jim and I would go get one of the bird dogs and we'd just go out, the two of us. There, he lived on Dixieland. Um, right two houses from uh, the intersection of Dixieland and Walnut on the south side. And, of course, it was all undeveloped back behind there, except there was a golf course a little ways back there hmm. called the 71 Golf Course, I think. And uh, there was a pond. So the oh, dove season, he and I'd go out there with our shotgun see if we could kill a dove. Mm-hmm. Well, there weren't many that came in. On the golf course? No, on the pond, the oh, golf okay. course over here. Okay. <clears throat> but there was some sport to be had. There was a tee for golf not too far from the pond. And no birds. We were kind of bored. So one of us would watch the golfers and the other one would get ready. Just as the golfer was starting to swing, down, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. Tops just club. <laughs> Scream and yell at us. And we just, you know, like we were looking around for the bird. Yeah. So that was some sport. Yeah. There's no limit on that either. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that it was because the fescue and the fence rose. I always heard, so I'm friends with somebody who owns a big farm over off the highway right in Rogers. And he said that back then, whenever we, we got away with hunting in the city and no more shooting shotguns and everything. Coyotes became a big problem on his farm and all the, the bobcats, the predators, all of that came and started eating the eggs, eating the, the quail, maybe at the same time, coincidentally, or that's what his parents always told him. But was it anything ever like that with, with predators or was it more so? I don't think it was a significant part of it. Yes. I really don't. Uh, I'm sure some, of course. Were there a bunch but, of coyotes back then? Not that I remember. Yeah. Um, and for a long time, agricultural zoning was treated differently. For example, big agricultural property south of uh, 
along 71 and the bypass owned by the Warrens, Dr. Warren, who's deceased and, and uh, his kids. And they always had big dove hunts out there. Mm. We said, well, go ahead. That's not what we're talking. I mean, your shot doesn't go very far. As long as neighbors don't complain, you're not shooting their houses up. We just tried to be reasonable about everything. But mm-hmm. we don't want long rifles. Right, yeah. right. You know, once you're out there shooting a thirty odd six or something. Yeah. yeah that so be uh, good. it worked it worked well. And even I think today, if a farmer was having trouble with predators or something or wild cat feral cats or dogs, I can imagine shooting a shotgun here and there and probably nothing had come of it. Yeah. You gotta use some common sense. There right used to be Absolutely. some zoning laws out between Bentonville and uh Rogers, where whenever they took away your ability to shoot long rifles, mm-hmm. they left you with the ability to shoot varmints with shotguns because yes. a shot doesn't yes. go further than typically exactly. like 100 yards. Or exactly. Yeah, or One other thing I should mention, another big factor in the loss of quail uh, was uh, ha- uh, habitat destruction because of growth. Subdivisions, cities, all of that helped to destroy the habitat as well. Yeah. So the reduction mm-hmm. of farmland available and wildland, because they don't live in the woods, right? You know that had a, that that's a third part of right. of of the of the destruction destruction yeah. of the habitat was a big part of it. Yeah, and then the the three and a half part. I I always heard this. I have no idea if it's true, but you always see when you go up to Bentonville, you always see in the Walmart Museum Sam Walton, and he used to quail hunt a lot. And I was I always heard that. Yeah, Sam Walton and all his buddies shot all our quail, and now there's oh, none. Yeah. Oh, they were murderers. Yeah. Brutal. They'd yeah. come in, pick up, and be mounded. Yeah. But I'd never, I just, I knew he was a quail hunter, and I never knew that. Did you ever get to meet him or just being around, mm-hmm. yes. around Rogers and all that? No way. I remember the day standing out kind of in downtown Rogers, looking down towards 8th and Walnut, and seeing this crazy man stacking watermelons and plastic swimming pools out in front of this thing called Walmart. <laughs> It's crazy. There was a discount chain at the time that had come to Rogers. I think it was called Dylan's, and it didn't last long. We said, "Why Dylan's couldn't make it? That crazy fool think he can do?" <laughs> well, we see what he did. We see. And that my grandmother's house is part of the parking lot where that first—I mean, where her house was—became right. part of that parking lot. That first Walmart. Yeah, the first Walmart is at Eighth and Walnut. Yeah. It's now you probably know where I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should be a sign on it, I would think. But uh, that was that was interesting. And then over the years, um, you know, Sam was all shucks up to a point. I mean, he was as ruthless as Robert Barron, as <laughs> the Gilded Age ones. I mean, strong businessman. Right. And uh, I remember that uh, when John Paul Hammerschmidt, our late congressman who was beloved, was head of a transportation subcommittee, and for the first time ever, he had the subcommittee meet here. Big deal. And we met at the, uh, we had him for a couple of days, and each of us was, a, this is when I was mayor, each of us was assigned a congressman to kind of shepherd around and make sure he had everything he needed. And then on the big day, all of these congressmen would be on the stage, the committee, and there was a table out front for four speakers. That was Sam Walton, Don Tyson, J.B. Hunt, and me representing the city. No way. They called me the mayor of Northwest Arkansas. I was already ready to do whatever I could. That's crazy. Well, Sam Walton spoke first, and really no one else needed to speak after that. He got up in his 
cheap Walmart sport coat and his Walmart and cap his, on. His cap, yeah. Yeah, and he said you know, other things. He said, you know, guys, Walmart was happy to contribute its billion dollars in federal taxes last year. Oh. Well, that was enough. Oh, my goodness. XNA, the interstate, what's called the two-ton water loop, four-laning all the way to the Cherokee Turnpike as a result of the, that meeting. Mm. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. He was able to convince them, and they became convinced with all of us convincing them yeah. <laughs> that funding for those types of things was important here. So that that was a lot of fun. And then <clears throat> one other story. When the second uh, Walmart opened, the one that also is about an eighth in Walnut, it's now an insurance building for them or something. You okay. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Well, <clears throat> the governor was invited up for dinner at Pinnacle, and I was mayor at the time, so I was invited. Wouldn't have been otherwise. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> and during the course of the meeting, uh, it went well, and Sam and Helen were sitting up there by the governor. It's about over. Sam jumped up and said, wait a minute, folks. I want to take the governor to see our new Walmart. He said, we're going to have a caravan now, and we're all going to go over there and show him. So we all dutifully got in our cars. <laughs> Took a caravan over to the new Walmart. We got in there, and Sam got on the speaker system and said, Folks, Governor Clinton is here. I want you all to say hi and greet him. We're so pleased to have him in our Walmart. It's an honor, you know, went on. Oh, and on. my gosh. And then I told kids when I speak to him, I said, Because Governor Clinton was a friend of mine. And when I said he bought two things at Walmart, well, he bought some classic movie. At the time, they'd have been VHS, I guess. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> big super economy size of slim fast. <laughs> He's always having What's weight that? problems. It's uh, a weight re- it's something you drink to help you reduce weight. Oh the yeah, 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 yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Governor Clinton, Bill Clinton? Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Whenever he'd come up here, he'd always uh jump in the car with me cuz I had a radio in my car. And I guess the state police car didn't have. Yeah. The state police go berserk trying to figure out where he was. John, can I ride with you? I want to use your phone. I said, sure. And he always wanted to go downtown because at the time there was a neat little bookstore called the Curiosity Bookshop. And the lady that ran it was a big supporter and a friend of Bill's. Hmm. And uh, he'd want to go in there and talk to her, maybe buy a book or two. He was an insatiable reader. And so the two of us would be walking down the street from wherever I parked. And people are kind of, not at me, but yeah. is that the governor? That's Bill Clinton. <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. I've got awesome. a picture out in the garage, two of us standing and talking in Rogers, and he sent it to me and said, uh, John, always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's so yeah. Neat. Did you ever get to do any any um, any outdoor activities with him? Because he was he kind These of. These were all indoor activities. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was no. He, but he, well, he wasn't an outdoorsman much, was he? Or? No. Okay. I no. didn't I didn't know. He's a jogger. Okay. Golfer, I think. <laughs> okay. No, I can't think of You didn't of get any... into that? Hmm? You didn't get into that? You didn't get into jogging? Golf or jogging or nothing Oh, good like heavens, that. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not You only story. have so many heartbeats. I only you, start you running when I see that big run. trout rising up river. I was uh, at the Municipal League Winter Conference, no, Spring Conference. I only played golf like in the, what do they call them, four-ball tournaments, Scramble. charity tournaments. Yes, yeah, where scrambles. If stuff. you hit a good ball, it counts. If not... If I could hit one ball, they'd use it. It's a big deal to me. Yeah. I was never a good golfer. Well, but there were some of my close friends in the mayor racket 
we're going to play golf the next morning. Tee off time at, I think, 8 o'clock. Well, <clears throat> the night before, I spent a little too much time at the well, so to speak, <laughs> and was in no shape to get up and go play golf at 8 in the morning. <laughs> the story spread. At lunch, the speaker was Governor Clinton. And he loved to point people out. Say, hi, did you, did you, did you? And there's my friend Jumpin' John Sampier. I thought, oh, <laughs> he said, John, I understand you missed your tea time this morning. Just remember Clinton's first law, never drink in public. You may act like who you are. <laughs> so ever since then, they called me Jumpin' John and among the mayors, and I've got a, looks like a golf golf ball mug that says Jumpin' John on it. Jumpin' John Sampier. That's, That's how we so should have introduced you to the podcast. <laughs> right? Jumping John. Now we know. That'll be the title. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, I may grow older, but I never grow up. Yeah. <laughs> I like That's it. That's awesome. Well, John, thank you for coming on and, and um, just coming on the podcast and talking with us and having us over to your place. I, well, I thank you. really enjoyed it. Thank you for doing this. I'm honored that you want to talk to me, and I've enjoyed visiting with all of you. Absolutely. Except Joshua, you know, he's... Oh, right. He, he's hard to hang out with. Right. No, but really, I, you've had obviously an impact on on um, Josh and and he on mine. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. And yeah. and and you on me as well because even the first couple times I came into Cabela's and talked with you, you know, you you did kind of simplify it for me and you kind of gave me the the encouragement to get Kinsey yeah. into it and take her out. My my visiting and approach and all that is honest. I'm not trying to impress anybody. It's just the way I am. Do I impress you? Okay, good. <laughs> you haven't been out there. Anyway, um, it's just something I love to do and have enjoyed. I'm always just pleased and it's rewarding to know that I've helped some people uh, get involved in fly fishing or anything else. I don't know what it is. Out there at the store, especially the younger people, would come to find, see me to talk. I need to talk to you. What about? Well, I'm having this problem with my girlfriend or something. They just come to me like I was the father confessor or something, wanted to get my advice on something. Yeah. I thought, well, what am I, do I have something on my forehead? <laughs> but again, I was flattered that people would seek my advice, I guess. I yeah. hope I gave a good one. Yeah, yeah. So We're far, still so good. here. Yeah. yeah. So I far, did, so okay. good. Two out of three. Well, no, I'm right. three out of three. Yeah, maybe him. We'll see. Yeah. Two and a half at least. Yeah. I've enjoyed it, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for anyone listening, um, that's all we got for you. But if you want to, if you want to reach out to John, or if you just want to get in contact with him, you're welcome to go by the Bass Pro. You should be starting here in the next couple of weeks. But I would think. I would think by March first, I have to go through training. Yeah. On the computer mostly. Okay. Right. Uh, I think I'd be on the floor by the end of the month or the first week in March. Okay. Very cool. And I don't know the days yet, but I'm thinking, unless they tell me different. Be 10 to 4, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, you can find him there. And um, if not, you can always reach out to us and we can maybe put put you in touch sure. with, with John. Or lots of times I'll be sitting down whittling in the park downtown. If you're in a hurry, don't stop by the fly shop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you see me on the street, go on the other side That's or right. you'll be tied up all day with That's you. right. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, everybody. That's all we got for you. We'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted by Kyle Veet, co-hosted by Adam Treese and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. To sponsor an episode or for general advertising inquiries, reach out to us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.
This podcast is presented by Inland Outdoors.